Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, how are you doing today? You doing, we're doing well? It's kind of fun. It's getting cooler now, right? So it's like a lot better than last week. I uh, woke up this morning and I felt like I was in San Diego again. Just got that, that, kind of that coastal fog thing going on. And uh, that, that was kind of a normal part of our life down there. But anyway, really glad you're here. And we are going to go into a time of teaching. And so if you are new, you'll definitely want to reach inside of your program and pull out the, uh, the message note sheet we use every week to help follow along. And then if you guys are all set, I'm ready to go. You, you ready to go? Let's, Let's pray. God, uh, we are excited to be here. We're, we're anxious to hear from you. We just acknowledge that you're our Lord and you're our teacher. You said in your word that call no man teacher, for you have one teacher and he's the Lord. And so we just acknowledge you as our teacher. And, and what we're doing is really gathering around your word to see what you would say to us. So we pray your spirit would speak with power and clarity, that we'd hear your voice, and that this would truly be a life-changing message for us today, as I believe it is. And so we pray in your name. Amen. Well, today we're continuing our series that we've been in now for the last uh, few weeks. It's called The Power of Perspective, Changing the Way You Think. And if, you, if you've been here, you're kind of up to speed with that. But if you're brand new, I always like to take just a minute or two at the top end and, and just kind of share with you, here, here's where we're coming, here's where the series is at, so you're up to speed. So, so here, here let, let me do that. Uh, we're in the midst of a series that's based on a, a letter from a man that's, that's called the Apostle Paul. He's uh, writing to a church, uh, a group of Christ followers that he uh, started, that came to Christ about five years before. They live in the southern tip of Greece, modern-day Greece, in a major metropolitan seaport city named Corinth. And so Paul's come in, shared the message of Jesus. They come to Christ, radical transformation in their life, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, all kinds of spiritual gifts, off to a great start. And so for the next year and a half, then Paul kind of mentors and shepherds and pastors them in their new relationship with Jesus. But then after a year and a half, God calls him to take the message of Jesus to new area. And so he, he takes off. And, uh, and so now in the, in the years since then, uh, certain questions have come up. Certain issues have arisen in their church. And so from time to time, he'll write them letters to kind of mentor and shepherd them. And so we have two of those letters. We don't have all of them. We have two of them. They're part of our New Testament. We call them 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And so what we've learned in this series is the series that we're in, The Power of Perspective, it's really, uh, it's, it's really the final series in a longer study on the whole letter of 2 Corinthians. And what we've learned in this series is that when a man or woman comes to Jesus, that certain supernatural changes happen immediately, that we receive the gift of forgiveness of sins. All crimes against the king are forgiven, number one. Number two, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, who God himself comes to live inside of us to, to lead and guide and transform it and change us from the inside out. But what we've been learning in this final series, The Power of Perspective, is that in order to really change and be transformed and experience the life that Christ came to give us, that we have to learn to listen and follow uh, the leading of the Holy Spirit in the, in the way we think. We have to change the way we think. We, have a, we need a whole new perspective on life, who God is, who we are, and how life is meant to be lived. And it's only as we allow God to change the way we think and we see life from its true reality, true perspective, that we're able to make the new, the new choices and priorities and so on that, that allow our lives to change and be transformed. And so topic on the table today is what I'm calling uh, the lesson of the dimmer switch. And, and this is one of the most important lessons that, that I've ever learned in my spiritual life. I think it's one of the most important lessons that Scripture teaches. It's, uh, it's a lesson I've touched on some in the past from time to time. If you've been here uh, for a long time, you've heard me talk briefly about it. But today we're going to focus a lot of time and energy because I truly believe it's one of the most important lessons of spiritual life. Like it, this is one of those lessons, if you can get your hands around this and really take this to heart and, and kind of embrace it, it can change your life, not only for now, but for the rest of your life. It's one of those core, spiritual, foundational, powerful principles. And so there in your note sheet, there's a section called The Warning, Paul's Coming. And I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, we're going to be going all the way through chapter 13, uh, verse 4, but we'll be going through in two different stages today. And so if you have your Bible, turn there, or whatever you're using, your tablet or phone or whatever. I could never believe this. So I never thought I would be like a Bible on phone kind of person. I just, never, I just never saw myself in that way. You ever have an idea of yourself and then you just get surprised? But uh, I'll tell you, in my own like personal life or whatever, I'm just always reading the Bible on my phone. It's just so weird. But uh, anyway, uh, chapter 12 and verse 11 Paul starts off and he says, uh, I've made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. 
Isn't that awesome? This sounds like a marriage argument. <laughs> totally. Like, I admit it, I overreacted. Okay, I acted like a fool, but it was really kind of your fault. It was just, uh, so, so let me set the stage what's going on here. Um, Paul is, uh, the last couple of chapters, he's been dealing with this major issue we've been talking about the last few weeks. These new teachers have come into the church of Corinth, and they claim to be bringing the true gospel, the true message of Jesus. And so they're saying, hey, you can't trust Paul. He's not a real apostle. Uh, he, you can't trust his character. You can't trust his integrity. He doesn't have the right gifts. He's, just, he's only brought you part of the gospel. Like, we're bringing you the true gospel. And, and look, we, look how gifted we are. Look what great speakers we are. Look how many spiritual experiences we've had. And so they're, they're building themselves up. They're tearing Paul down, but they're bringing a new message and it's a message that Paul says is a different gospel. It's a, a different Jesus, a different Holy Spirit. And it's actually being inspired by Satan himself. And so the church is in great spiritual danger. And so Paul has been forced to do something that he would never naturally do, that he hates doing. He feels like a total fool for doing, as he's kind of comparing credentials. The last couple of chapters, he's been saying, okay, let me, let's compare credentials. They're tearing me down, building themselves up. And so he's talked about in chapter 11, his calling as an apostle. He's talked about his, his racial heritage as a Jew. He's talked about all the hard work he's done for Jesus. He's talked about the tremendous suffering he's gone through for Jesus. Last week, he talked about these spiritual, profound spiritual experiences where he was taken up into the presence of God and, and, and he learned these powerful lessons that it's not through our strength, it's through our weakness that God's power is made manifest in our life. And so so he's coming to, towards the end of this defense, and today he's going to wrap it up, but again, he just feels stupid and foolish because, you know, he wants to boast about Jesus and what Jesus has done. Paul knows that in himself, he's nothing. It's about Christ and who Christ is, and so he feels ridiculous, but he feels like because of their spiritual danger that they're in and their immaturity, he's been forced to do this. He just, for their sake to protect them, he's had to do this thing that is ridiculous and he would normally never do. And so he says in verse 11, I've made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. And he said, here's the, here's the crazy part. He said, I ought to have been commended by you, for I'm not in the least inferior to these so-called super, uh, super apostles, even though in myself I'm nothing. And so he says, here's the irony. Paul is being forced to defend himself as an apostle, but if anyone should know that he's an apostle, if anyone should be defending him, it should be these people. Because they're the ones that Paul brought to Christ. They're the ones that through him that they received their forgiveness and they, and they got the message of Christ and they received the Holy Spirit and their life were transformed. So if anyone should be defending Paul, it's these people, right? So it's ridiculous because Paul's having to commend himself to them. They should be commending him to these other new uh, apostles. And then in verse um, 12, he, he picks up the next line of his defense. He said, you know, the things that mark an apostle... And there are certain signs that mark a true apostle of Jesus. One was that they've actually seen Jesus you know, face to face in person. Paul had met that criteria. But a second criteria was that the, the mark of an apostle was that they were truly uh, experienced supernatural things, that miracles, healings, and things like that were done. <laughs> and so he says the things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, miracles, hey, they were done when I was with you with great perseverance over a long period of time. And so... Um, and now, now he's going to change to a new topic. And this is a topic that he raised earlier in chapter 11. And we're not going to go into it today in great detail because we talked about it earlier in chapter 11. But just briefly, there was this issue where Paul had made the decision in the church of Corinth that he would not receive financial support for his services, for being like a pastor. He had every right to. Jesus had taught this, that it was, it was the right thing to do. But he had chosen voluntarily not to take advantage because apparently he didn't want them to think he was in it for the money. It was, you know, Christianity was very new in their area. Uh, he, he didn't want to be beholding to any of their, their rich people as if he was working directly for them and they had control over him. And so Paul had chosen not to receive financial support from this church. But he had, while he was there, received financial checks from other churches that he had supported to help support him while he was there. And so his critics were using this against him. Here was an act of tremendous love and sacrifice because he loved them so much. It's being turned now. And his critics are saying, you know what, the reason he's not willing to receive financial support is because he, he doesn't love us as much as he loves these other churches. <laughs> Look, he's willing, he, they're closer to him. They're supporting him financially, and he must not feel that close to us. Uh, others were saying, you know what, yeah, it's true, Paul didn't rip us off financially, 
but he keeps sending these right-hand men like Titus and other messengers. They'll probably rip us off. It's like it's a, a conspiracy, you know? So the whole thing's ridiculous, and he kind of deals with it again in this passage. He's dealt with it multiple times in his relationship with them. But if you go down to verse uh, 14, I do want to highlight one thing in the middle of this section that becomes important. In verse 14, Paul says, now I'm ready to visit you for the what? The third time. So I want you to catch this. The first time that Paul went to Corinth was when he shared the gospel. He was there a year and a half. The church comes to Christ, right? That's the first time. The second time, for those of you who have been here this whole series, the second time was back, remember, in chapter 2. In chapter 2, Paul talks about the second painful visit that where he went where there was this rogue leader in power, and the church had totally turned to follow this rogue leader who was leading them away from Christ. And they, they had rejected Paul's leadership. It was a very painful visit. Remember on that visit, it was all, the church was totally messed up. But remember, Paul chose not to confront this leader and this faction directly because he felt like it would tear the church apart. So if you remember, he went back to Ephesus, wrote this very harsh, kind of painful letter, sharp letter to them, calling them back to repentance. And then you remember in chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians, Titus, who had delivered that letter, Titus comes back in chapter 7, with the good news that the church has turned around, they want to fall under Paul's leadership. Okay, so that was the second visit, that second painful visit. So now Paul is about to go through for the third time. And one of the reasons he's writing 2 Corinthians is to, in, is to help him, encourage him to get their act together before he comes. Because if he doesn't, this time he is going to deal in a very strong way with all these kind of rebellious people uh, because now the church is back in track, he feels like now he can be able to speak more directly to it. And so uh, that becomes important later on. Let's jump down to verse 19 now. The verses we just skipped over are all the verses about this whole financial issue of why didn't he receive financial support. But when you get to verse 19, again, we change direction. And uh, one thing I've told you throughout this series is that Paul over and over is defends himself. He defends his character his integrity, his calling as an apostle, uh, his motives, his giftings, all these things, right? And, and over and over throughout this series, I've told you the reason he's doing this is not because he cares about his ego or his power or his position or what they think of him, but what he cares about is them. And he realizes that if they reject him as their apostle and they reject the message that he brought, they're in serious spiritual danger. And so that's why he's defending himself. It's not about him, it's about them. And so this is what he says in verse 19. <clears throat> he says, have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? He says, really, the reality is we've been speaking in the sight of God just honestly as those in Christ, true Christ followers. And he said, everything we do, dear friends, it's for your strengthening. The only reason we're defending ourselves is because of our love for you. And he said, for, for I'm afraid, and here's this big fear now. Remember, he's coming for this third visit. He says, for I'm afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be. In other words, you, you don't have your act together. And he says, and my, I'm afraid that you may not find me as you want me to be. In other words, I am not going to be happy. Okay? So he says, I, I fear that there may be, and here, here's what he's afraid of. I, I'm afraid that there may be quarreling and jealousy and outbursts of anger. I, when I read this, I always picture, I, I've heard stories of churches that are usually set in the South, nothing against the South, but these are just what I've heard the stories, where they have these, they, you know, all these million congregational meetings for everything. And you hear stories of even like the chairman of the board and the pastor coming to blows on stage, or just horrendous stories. And it kind of calls to mind this picture here that, that they're having major conflict, and this is what he's afraid of. They're, they have a relational uh, fracture in their church. And he says, so I, I'm afraid that there may be outbursts of anger, factions like church split, slander, you know, one side against the other telling lies, kind of like uh, politics, uh, gossip, uh, <laughs> arrogance, uh, disorder. And so he says, this is what I'm really concerned about. There's a relationally, your church is going to be a mess because that's how it was when he was there on the second visit. He's, he's afraid it's going to be the, still the same way. Verse 21, and I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you. 
The last time he'd been there, it had been a very humiliating experience where they were not willing to respond to his leadership. His heart was broken over this church. He had wept over them. His enemies saw that as a weakness as he had left town. And so he says, uh, I, I'm afraid that uh, when I come again, God will humble me before you, and I'll be grieved over, and I want you to underline the next word. This is very important for later on. It's the word many. I, I will be grieved over what? Many. Many who have sinned earlier uh, and have not repented of the, they've not turned around from their impurity, their sexual sin, and their debauchery, kind of wild partying, you know, drunkenness, wild partying, in which they have indulged. And so Paul says, I, I'm just really concerned. I'm, I'm afraid that when I come, that the things that were going on last time are still going on. There's gonna be, this church is a mess. It's relationally broken down. There is factions, there is fighting, there is slander, there's jealousy, there's arrogance, there's pride. And on top of that, that's led to other things. You've got immorality in the church, blatant sexual immorality. You've got wild parting, people getting drunk. This is the church of Jesus. And you say, what in the world happened here? I mean, like five years ago, they came to Jesus, radical transformation, Holy Spirit comes in, full of spiritual gifts. I mean, prophecy, tongues, healing, a supernatural God's revealing his power, and they're mentored and shepherded by the apostle Paul for a year and a half. It's not a bad way to start your Christian life. And now we're a few years down the line, and the church is blowing up. It is, the relationships are, are at a fever pitch. You've got open sexuality uh, going on in the church and wild partying. Like, what happened to this church? It's like, this is the church of, what is going on here? And so Paul is, is writing to them to kind of prepare them for his coming. But, but, but before we go on to the next four verses, we're going to come back to them later. But I want to stop here. And I want to talk about this, uh, this powerful spiritual principle that I learned in my life a long time ago. I think it's one of the most important principles of following Jesus in our life, uh, of, of, of following him well. And it's this principle of what I call the dimmer switch. And like I've said, uh, that, that uh, this is something that from time to time I'll touch on on our church. I just like to drip it through. But we haven't really spent a long time talking about it uh, recently. And I want to spend some time talking, but I want to illustrate how it works from the life of the Corinthians. And so honestly, time and time again, as we've been going through this series, I have been so tempted to talk about this principle because it keeps jumping out on me in page after page. But I just kept on feeling like, like I was saying, it's not now, it's not now, it's not now. And now as we come to the end of the series, because this is our next, we have this series and then one, have this weekend and then one more message, I feel like now's the perfect time to stand back from everything we've learned about this church and, and to, to see how they illustrate this principle. We're going to follow it through, and then we're going to say, how does that work out in our life? So we're going to lay out the principle, I'm going to unpack the principle, we're going to see how it's lived out in the life of Corinth, and then we're going to say, how does that live out in our life? All right, so there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called the dimmer switch, the light and the darkness. And what I want to do is just start off giving you the principle. Uh, and, and we're actually going to, I'm going to give it to you, and then we're going to fill it out some more. We're going to add a few more words that I didn't add on this note sheet. And then we're going to spend some time un unpacking it. So here we go. Here, here's the principle. The principle is, uh, uh, in the section of the dimmer switch, light and the darkness, here's the principle. Obedience leads to light. Okay, it leads to insight, light, uh, awareness, truth. Uh, and disobedience leads to darkness. Very simple, very simple principle, very profound. Obedience leads to light, disobedience leads to darkness. Now, I want to I supplement this, or I want to I add something to us. I want you to write some words after what you just wrote, and I know this will be a challenge for some of you because there's no blanks, but just uh, <laughs> hang with me here, all right? So we're going to add a couple words. So obedience leads to light, and then after that, say, write, which leads to life. Okay, so obedience leads to light, which leads to life. And then we're going to add to the next line, disobedience leads to darkness, which leads to death. Okay? And so Jesus has come to, to give us life. He told us, this is why I've come, to, to lead you. And, and the way he does it is he turns up the light in an area of our life. And as we respond to that light, it leads to more light, and which leads to life. But, but on, the same, on, on, on the flip side, that when Jesus comes and he opens our eyes to spiritual truth, he gives us light, and we don't respond, it leads to greater darkness, which leads to death. So, so let's talk about this. The basic principle of the dimmer switch 
is that when God gives us new light in an area, like, like you're sitting here in church, right? And, and, and I'm teaching or Joel's teaching or Dave's teaching and, and God's just moving and he's beginning to show you a new area of spiritual truth. Something, it could be about anything. It could be about your marriage, right? Like, like you could be like a, a husband and, and uh, you've been telling your wife for years, I'm not harsh, you're just overly sensitive, okay? And so this has been going on for years. This debate has been going on. And, and as you're here, God begins to, to speak into your life and, and he begins to turn up the life. And, and for the first time, you begin to realize that she's right, that, that I really am harsh. I, it's just the way I was raised or whatever. It's the way my dad was. I just, I never recognized her, but she's right. And so, you, so the light begins to be turned up. It might be an, an, an area of sexual immorality in your life, that God just begins to shine the light and say, you know, that, that stuff you're watching or, or this thing you're doing, is just, it's, this is killing you. And it just begins to, it could be an area of sexual morality. It could be an area of finances. It could be an area of attitude of bitterness. Like you, you're bitter towards someone, they hurt you really badly, and you basically have the attitude, I will forget, I'll, I'll do whatever Jesus says, but I will not forgive that person for what they hurt me. I'll never, that's one thing I will never do. I'll do anything else, but I won't do that. Um, so are you with me in this? It could be towards your job. It could be towards business. It could be about your work ethic. Uh, it could be about your parenting. It could be that, that Jesus is opening your eyes that there really is a problem with your child. It's not the teacher. It's your child. And, and he's trying to show you that, right? And he's trying to show you that because he wants you to understand. If you don't understand the problem is your child and you start dealing with it, if you go through the rest of your life blaming his teachers, uh, your, your child is in for a hard life and you're in for a hard And so it could be anything, right? Because Jesus is Lord of all of life and he's going to be speaking to your life and all life. And, and so whenever that happens, whenever God begins to turn on the light, I, I compare it to a dimmer switch, and so you've all seen this, like on a torchier light, uh, where there's a switch, and you can turn it up, you can turn it off. You, you may have them, we have them on our, like our kitchen lights. You can turn, you know, fade them up, you can fade them down. And, and so the, the, here's what I'm saying, is that when God opens our eyes to spiritual truth, and that we respond, that what happens is like the dimmer switch gets turned up, and we see more light. Okay, so like life is like a journey, and we're on a path, and it's a dark world out there, and the Holy Spirit, is, is he, as he turns up the light, we can see a little bit where we need to go next. And so as we take that step, guess what? God says, awesome, okay, now you're ready for the next step. And he turns up the light a little bit more. And, and, and picture this, this journey is leading us towards life. And so every time we take a step as he turns up the light, then, then we're moving more towards life in multiple areas of our life, okay? But it also works the opposite way. And the way it works is, is that when God opens up, when he turns out the light for us, it's often going to require a change, isn't it? And, and that change is not always easy. It's not something that we always go, oh, yippee, I get to change, right? That it's like, it's not, it's not my a dream to go and say, hey, Lynn, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Like, I, that's not my dream. Like, my dream is for Jesus to say, you're always right. Uh, she's always wrong. Uh, yes, stick to your guns. And so... When, when God begins to open up our eyes, it's not always easy. There, there's change that has to be happen, that, that we have to make a move. And if we don't like that, the temptation is to ignore what Jesus just said. We, our temptation is to ignore the light. The temptation is to procrastinate. Yeah, that's true, but I'll get to it later. The, the, the temptation is to rationalize, yeah, but... If she wasn't the way she was, I wouldn't be so harsh. And, and so the temptation is to ignore, to procrastinate, to uh, rationalize, or sometimes just to flat out reject. And so here's what happened. The light gets turned up, right? So here's the temptation. We turn our back to the light, and we take a step away. So the light's not so bright. So we're not looking so bad. And when that happens, what happens is at a core level, here's what I want you to catch, at a core level that you change. The core of who you are changes in that moment. That, that when God turns up the light, we have a choice. We either move towards the light or we move away for the light. And in that choice, we are changed at a core level. And this is the part we often don't understand. We think that we can come to church or read our Bibles or go to our life group or read a book or hear a podcast. We think that we can hear, we can hear truth and not respond, put it on hold, and we remain the same. This is what we really think. We, we think that I can hear that truth, and I'm not going to act on it today, 
but I'm not going to reject it. I'm just not going to act on it, and I'll put it on the shelf, and then I'll come back tomorrow or a month from now or a year from now, and then I'll, I'll be able to, to do that. What we don't realize is every time we reject the truth, we've become a little bit less of the person we were created to be. Something changes. So in the Bible, there's another analogy. I'm using the light analogy. There's another analogy. In the Bible, we talk about hardness of heart. And you remember, you've heard that phrase? That when we resist the Holy Spirit, our heart becomes hard. It's the same, it's the same, it's the same truth, just a different analogy, okay? So, and, and so, so let me play this out because I, I, I want to give you an example. I've talked about it. It could be in your marriage. It could be in your job. It could be in your parent. It could be in anything. But here's what I want to give you one tangible example just so you see, so I make sure we get clear on this, how this works, all right? So, so let's, say, let's say that there's a, a, a young man, uh, he comes to Christ, uh, he has a, 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 tr- a transformation experience, a conversion experience, his life begins to, to change, he's a couple years in, he's been growing and so on, but little known to him, there is an idol in his life. And the idol in his life, that he's not really realized before, the idol is his finances. That he, he's a guy that, that having a lot of stuff, having the right stuff, the right toys, the right house, whatever the thing is, that he's just, it's really important to him. It's important to have a, a big bank account. That's where he gets his security from. And this is just his idol. Now, it could be anything, right? I'm just an illustration. The reason I'm using this one is because this is one we've seen in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, we have that whole teaching on the power to give and the special offering for the poor that Paul, how Jesus wants to transform us and to make us like him in the area of generosity. So so this this guy's in church, right? And he's here a couple months ago. We're going through that series, The Power to Give. And so we spend three or four weeks on on how Jesus wants to transform us and and turn us into people that are are great givers like him, whether it's giving to his kingdom or giving to the poor. And he wants to transform us. And and we, we go through that whole teaching and we talk about this. We talk about what Jesus said, that for us to follow Jesus, every one of us has to come to a point where we surrender in our lives our finances to him. We have to acknowledge that everything we own, everything we have belongs to him, and we're going to, how we make it, how we spend it, how we give it, how we save it, how we invest it, it has to come under his leadership. And so we go through that series, and we lay out that principle, and let's say that while he's here, he's been a believer now for two years, that this is the first time he's never really thought about finance as much before. He's never really, he's never thought, he's got five bucks in the plate here or there or given to poor, you know, in, here, in this whole thing. But it's never been a, a, a discipline in his life. It's never been a big thing. And so, so the, the Holy Spirit now, this is this, his time. And the Holy Spirit begins opening up his eyes to this truth, right? That, that he needs to surrender all that he has and all that he has to God and then kind of spend and give and all, as God leads. And all of a sudden, uh, this idol begins to pop in. He's never realized this about himself before, how much his stuff means to him, how much his dreams of lifestyle mean to him, how, how much security he draws from that, how, how, how he just doesn't want to, you know, how, how kind of, uh, uh, in a sense, greedy. He, he's never realized it. And so the Holy Spirit's turning on the light. And now he's got a choice, doesn't he? That he has to decide whether he's going to listen and, and kind of give as God leads him or not. He's got a choice. And so here's what's happened. Let's say that he obeys Jesus, that he, he surrenders. He goes through a major surrender. Yes, God, all that I am, all that I have belongs to you. How do you want me to do? And then he, he begins to respond to whatever Jesus says. Here's what's going to happen. Number one, his passion for Jesus is going to grow. Because he has dethroned this idol in his life, and Jesus has gone to a new level. And his passion for his relationship with Jesus is going to go to a new level. There'll be a new level of intimacy, a new level of God's presence in his life. There's going to be also a new level of freedom from materialism. This has been bound before. He didn't realize that. He's going to have a new level of generosity in his life, a new love for God, a new love for people. He's going to have a new level of faith in his life because he's trusted God. And as faith has grown as he's trusted Chances are, not always, but he's going to see God move in amazing ways, and, and, and God's going to begin to bless him financially as he trusts God with his finances. Chances are, that's normal, that works not always, but chances are, and, and so he is going to be transformed, right, by that decision of how he responded to the light, and as he does, guess what? As he responds, God's going to say, great, now here's the next step in your journey, and he's going to turn on the next light, you see, and he's going to be moving down this path to life. He's becoming a transformed person. Let's say he makes the other decision, and he says he doesn't want to surrender this area of his life to Jesus. It's too important, so I'm going to get back to it later. He kind of turns from the light. I'm not going to listen. He begins to now rationalize so he can live with himself. 
And if you can say, oh, it's just not the right time, or I don't have enough, or I'll do that when I'm older, or whatever, or, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not going to do it because I'm afraid, but he begins to turn from the light. Here's what I want you to catch. For most of us, the way that we look at life is that we look at him as, as this is where he started his journey in terms of his spiritual relationship with God and his maturity. We see that what happens is he had an opportunity to grow and change, but that he turned down that, but he stays in the same place because he didn't obey. Here's what we learn. No, it's not like that. That when we reject what God says, we have to move away from the light just to be comfortable with ourselves. And so what happens is he doesn't stay where he was, he starts moving down this path. And that by making that choice, here's what's gonna happen. His relationship with Jesus is going to diminish because he now is intentionally worshiping another God. His greed is going to increase. His bondage to materialism will increase. His uh, self-absorption will increase. His faith will diminish because he has not trusted God like he will. And his whole passion for Christ will go downhill. And he will become less and less the man he was created to be. Are, are you with me on this? Now here's what I want you to catch a minute. This is exactly how it works. When the light gets turned on, we either move towards the light, which leads to more light and leads to more life, or we turn from the light, we move away, and the dimmer switch gets turned down, and we become less the person. And so you see this throughout the Bible, this principle taught. But what I want you to see is I want you to see one place where Jesus talks about it. It's there on your note sheet in Mark chapter 4. So in Mark chapter 4, Jesus has been teaching all day. He's been teaching by the lake. Uh, his men are there. The crowds are there. And so catch this. All day long, Jesus has been laying out powerful spiritual truth that has the ability to transform lives. And when he gets done, he pulls his men aside, and he says, listen, men, I want to tell you something. If you're going to follow me, it's important you get this really early on. He says, you need to, to pay careful attention to the truth that I'm giving you. He says, because God is watching, and when you respond to the truth that I give you, you're going to get more truth. But when you reject the truth that I'm teaching you, you're going to lose even the truth that you have. And so he uses this analogy of a measuring cup. Of course, in those days when you go to the market, you know, that things weren't all prepackaged. You take your measuring cup, and, and you'd you know, here's, you, you, you know, I want a measure of this. I want a measure of that. Or I'll trade you a measure of this for a measure of that. And so Jesus says that God will respond. The, the, the measure that you use when it comes to spiritual truth is the measure that God will respond back to you. And so he says here, he says, can, uh, uh, on, on your note sheet, Mark 4, consider carefully what you hear. And I want you to underline that. Consider carefully what you hear. What he's telling you, he's been teaching you all day, pay careful attention to what I'm saying. And here's why. He says, with the measure that you use, in other words, the, the way you respond to my teaching, it will be measured to you and even more. And catch this, whoever has, so as you have insight, whoever has will be given more, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be what? Taken, Taken away from you. You see, you don't stay the same. This is why there are some believers that honestly have been in church for 30 years, and they are way further away from Jesus than when they started. Honestly, they came to Jesus at first. They, they were growing. They were hungry for God. Their life was being transformed. God was using them. And, and now 30 years later, they're, they're still going to church and their head's full of knowledge, but their life has not been transformed. They're not being used. You know why? It's because they didn't pay careful attention to what Jesus was saying. And they have lost even what they had before. Not in a mental, cerebral way. They know their Bibles more. They know the stories more. They get that. But in terms of life transformation, they are less than they were then. Like I would have taken them over. Give me a two-year-old believer who's growing with Jesus. Give me a two-year-old believer any day over a 30-year-old believer who's been on hold for the last 28 years. Right? Because this person is not experiencing life change. This person is not experiencing the kingdom of God, and they're not being an influence for Christ. This person is. Such a sad thing. And so, so this is the, the principle of the dimmer switch. When you respond to the light that God gives, he gives you more. When you reject the light that, that God gives, you lose even the light that you have, okay? So now the question is, 
why am I bringing it up today? I've told you I wanted to bring it up so many times, but why today? And what I really have felt like God was saying is just, I mean, time and time, I wanted to tell you, just like, it's like, nope, nope, nope. And, and finally, when I got here, it was like, okay, now it's time. Because now that we're going to be able to see how this principle has worked itself out in the life of this church at Corinth. Now that we're almost to the end of the letter, we'll be able to see it. And so I want you to stop and think with me about the church of Corinth and what we know about them. So they come to Christ, right, through the Apostle Paul. Powerful spiritual transformation, conversion, Holy Spirit comes in, spiritual gifts uh, like crazy. To, and they're mentored by the Apostle Paul. So amazing start. But now, now then after Paul leaves, they begin to get off track. And the, what happens is they begin to go back to their old way of thinking. Remember, this whole series is about the power of perspective, changing the way you think. And so they begin to go back to their old perspectives. They, they begin to go back and they start embracing the teaching of their culture around them. About, they, they begin to go back and, and they begin to, uh, to, to kind of go back to their old ways and lifestyles. And what happens then is that they've come to Jesus, but they're not allowing the Holy Spirit to change the way they think. And so it's leading to all kinds of problems. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, gets word of this. He's now in the city of Ephesus. He gets word of this. He writes them the letter, the letter we call 1 Corinthians. And in that letter, he calls them back and says, let me tell you the truth about Jesus and about following Jesus. And he addresses all this wide, uh, wide uh, swath of, uh, of issues in their church. And so catch this. Uh, start well. They're getting off track. The Holy Spirit brings new light, turns up the light in their life by having the Apostle Paul write a letter. But the question is, how do they respond? And so what I want you to do is, I mean, what I want to walk you through is I want to walk you through 1 Corinthians. And just for time, I'm just going to do it just verbally here. And, and I'm just going to address some of the key issues that come up in 1 Corinthians, all right, as they begin to get off track. So for example, in chapter 1, we find out that they're beginning to go back to the philosophers of their age and, and getting away from the cross. And, and they're, they're beginning to, to kind of question the, the teaching that Paul had given. Uh, in chapters uh, 2, 3, and 4, we find out that there are major factions going on in their church. They're dividing up over who is the greatest teacher that I should be following. And Paul says that is a sign not of spiritual maturity, but of spiritual immaturity. It's being generated by your pride, and it's going to kill you. You've got to get away from these factions. When you get to chapter 5, we find out that there's this issue of sexual immorality, just a single issue in the church, but there's a man living with his, his uh, stepmother, and the church is not dealing with it. And so and then in chapter 6, Paul talks about the importance of sexual purity and how as followers of Jesus, our bodies belong to him, and we have sex outside of marriage with anyone other than our spouse that we're bringing Jesus into that sin because he lives inside of us. And then in chapter, uh, as, as we move, <coughs> move on into chapter uh, 9, Paul raises this whole issue of whether he's a true apostle. And he raises the issue of why he didn't receive financial support. And in chapter 10, he raises the issue of idolatry. And, and he says, you've got to knock off going back to the pagan temples and participating in pagans. I, I realize they're the core of your culture and where everyone hangs out, but you can't participate in those things. And then if you jump ahead to chapter 15, we find out there's new teaching in the church, and it was about the resurrection, that the resur in the next life, we don't really receive new bodies. And, and he says, listen, when it comes to, to, to new, new teaching, you need to run everything through the grid of the basic gospel. In the gospel, is Jesus died, he rose again. If Jesus, if Jesus didn't rise again, there is no resurrection, and, and so then we, we're, we're fools. And so you see, take new teaching and run it through the grid of, the, of, of what you already know and make sure it lines up. And so this is 1 Corinthians, okay? So the church is majorly off track. God sends the apostle Paul to write a letter. The dimmer switch gets turned up, okay? When that letter comes in, light is flooding through that church. It, it's light exposing uh, cultural teaching, it's exposing pride, it's exposing factions, it's exposing this question of whether Paul is a true apostle, it's, a, it's, it's, it's issuing the, the issue of idolatry, and it's exposing how, about this new teaching, right? And so the question is, how do they respond to the light that they've been given? The dimmer switch has been turned up, how do they respond? And here's what's blown me away as I've gone through 2 Corinthians. I keep seeing 1 Corinthians all over in 2 Corinthians, except it's on steroids. It's like what happened is that the light came in and they chose because of their pride, because of their ego, because of their longing for success, 
because of their, their desire to avoid suffering, uh, because of their love for idolatry, because they didn't want to give up their sexual sin, because they didn't want to, to kind of run every, a new teaching through the gospel. Because of that, they rejected that teaching. And so now as you go into 2 Corinthians, which is only a year or so later, you find this church that started so well is a mess. And so now they're not only questioning Paul's leadership, they've actually followed this rogue leader in chapter 2 and rejected Paul's leadership. Uh, not only are they, they open to new teaching, they're so open that this, this new teaching is coming from Satan, like Paul's afraid the whole church is going to go off the deep end. In chapter 7, he has to raise the issue of idolatry again. And here in chapter 12, we come today, we find out there's factions going on so severe they're willing to tear the church apart. He talked to them about it in 1 Corinthians. And sexual immorality that many are participating in. Not one, but many are participating. So what's happened? The church receives light, the light goes up, and the church chose to turn away from the light. And when you turn away from the light, you move into the darkness, and you become stupid. Are you with me? Amen. The more we follow Jesus, the brighter we get. The light gets turned up. When you don't listen to Jesus, when you resist what the Holy Spirit showing, you get stupider. <laughs> or more stupid. <laughs> I could say I proved my point, but anyway. <laughs> All right, so... And so I want you to see how bad this had gotten. I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians 13. Now we're going to finish this passage, 13, 1 to 4. I want you to see how bad this, is, how, how bad this situation has become. Because now that things have gotten so bad, Paul is beginning to question their salvation, whether they're ever really truly believers or not. And so in chapter 13 and verse 1, <clears throat> Paul says, this will be my third visit to you. We've talked about that. And then he quotes from Deuteronomy 19, and he says, every matter, this quote, must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. In other words, in the Old Testament, when you were taking someone to court, you couldn't convict them on a single witness. You had to have two or three witnesses. And what Paul is saying is, this is my third visit, and it's the second warning, and I'm coming as a judge. And so you better get your act together. He says in verse 2, I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time, and now I will repeat it while I'm absent. And on my return, this third visit, I catch this, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others. So on his second visit, he had chosen to spare them. He had not come in with apostolic authority and, and just dealt powerfully. And the reason was because the church wasn't respecting his apostolic authority. He felt like it would blow it up. But now the church has come back under his apostolic authority. There's still a lot going on. But they basically have come back, and so now it's a different rules. And so Paul says, I'm coming back. You better get your act together. And, and so it's interesting because the critics in the church were saying, hey, Paul is weak. How can you believe Jesus is speaking through Paul? When he was here, he didn't even deal strongly with the issues that were going on. And Paul's big fear is that they will misunderstand his motives last time of why he didn't, that he won't deal with it this time. And he says, uh, he goes on, he says, on my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others. So catch this. There was all this sin going on, but he hadn't dealt with it. Since you're demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. You're like, you want proof that Jesus is in me and the power of Jesus is in me? Okay, well, I'm coming, and you better get ready. Because if you don't get your act together, you're going to see the power of Jesus flowing through me. Because I'm going to deal with this. I'm not going to let this church be destroyed. And those who have sinned earlier and they've not repented, people are not willing to, to get right, that we're, we're going to deal with that. And, and then he says, he, he's talking about Jesus, he is not weak in dealing with you. He's powerful among you. You don't mess with him. Verse 4, for to be sure, he was crucified in weakness. He allowed that. But he lives by God's power through the resurrection. And in the same way, we're weak in him. We, we go through hard times. That's been a bigger, big theme this whole, this whole letter. But by God's power, we live with him. So don't, don't let the fact that I'm in prison and being beat up and there's this weakness in my life that, that Jesus uses to, to reveal his strength. Don't, don't let that think that, that I will not come and deal with this in power. And then he says this, and it's just so, uh, he says, uh, yeah, by God's power, we live with him to serve you. You know, we're, we're coming to, to help you grow. And then in verse five, here comes this challenge. And he says, examine yourselves to see 
whether you are in the faith. And so he comes to this church, and catch this, this is a church with the most amazing start in the world, and now it's gotten to such extremes. He says, you need to check out your own life and see whether you're really born again. You, you need to take a good look and see, are you truly a follower of Jesus? And he says, test yourselves. In other words, you've been testing me as an apostle, test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? He's done, what, what is with you? He told them this earlier that you are the temple of God, that Jesus, like what is with you? You're fighting, you're quarreling, you're splitting up, you're slandering one another. There's jealousy, there's envy, there's open sexual immorality. You're getting drunk at your services. Like what is going on? Don't you realize who you are? Don't you realize who you belong to? Don't you realize Jesus is in you? What is going on? Get it together. Get it together because I'm coming, and if you don't, we're going to have to deal with it, and it's not going to be pretty. So get it together. And then he asks, finally, he says, unless, of course, you what? Fail the test. You see what he's saying? He's saying, like, don't you realize, Jesus is in you, unless you're not truly born again. And, and as I've read this, it's just blown my mind. It's like, how did this church in a five or six year period of time go from this passionate group of Christ followers who started so well to a place their church is falling apart and blowing up? And I'll tell you exactly how it happened. It happened when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians and brought the truth of God and God turned up the light and they chose the darkness instead. And when you choose the darkness over the light, you don't stay the same, you go backwards. And so the same issues that were in 1 Corinthians are the issues in 2 Corinthians, but now they have just become overpowering issues that are threatening the very life of their church. And so here's the question. As we begin to wrap it up today, there on your note sheet, there's a section. And I have a question for you. And, and the question is, <laughs> in your life, how are you responding to light? And then when this is what I want you to get. Growing in Jesus is not that hard. I'm not saying there's not times you have to die to yourself or tough decisions. I'm not saying that. But it's not like you have to figure this out. Like, like you have the Holy Spirit who loves you. You've got Jesus who's praying for you. You have a Father who's, who's, who's going to meet all your needs. He's given you the word of God to guide you in a church of brothers and sisters to grow together and pastors and teachers to teach you. It's not that hard. That if you want to grow and become the person that God wants you to be, all you have to do is follow the light that you give. You don't have to figure it all out. You don't have to, you don't have to figure out how to fix your marriage. You don't have to fix your, you don't figure out how to be better parents or how to be a better employee or change your heart. You don't have to figure it all out. You just have to follow the light that he gives you. Just one step at a time. You just, you just follow today what he's showing you today, and then he'll show you more tomorrow, and you show it to more tomorrow, and over time, you're transformed. You get smarter, you get brighter, you get wiser, your gifts get developed, your joy increases, your passion for Christ. It just, it just happens. It's supernatural, right? It's his job to grow you. Your job is just to cooperate. But the opposite is also true. If you want to get stagnant, it's not hard. If you want to go backwards, it's not difficult. All you do is just every day, just reject what he's showing you today. And every day, you'll become less and less the person you're created to be. It's, a, it's just the way it is. It's the principle of the dimmer switch. And so what we need to understand as followers of Jesus is that when Jesus shows us truth in our life, this is like spiritual dynamite. This is like high value, high grade stuff. It's like, it's like nuclear material. It's very pure. And so when you respond to the truth, you're changed by it. And when you reject the truth, you go backwards. And so here's what we have to catch. I just think this in the Church of America, we just have this kind of perspective. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to hear something. It may be amazing. It'll be awesome. I'll tell my friends. But I don't necessarily do anything with it. And then we, then we don't understand why we don't grow and change. We don't understand why we go backwards sometimes. It's not hard. It's not hard to understand this. This is why Jesus said, Pay attention to what I'm telling you. He said, listen carefully. Why? Because spiritual truth, it either causes you to grow or causes you to go backwards. 
Like, there's no middle ground here. So, so let me paint a picture. And I'm going a little long, but I'm just going to ask you to bear with me, okay? Because I, I think it's important. Uh, let's take two believers, okay? Let's say two, two people come to your, you join a life group this fall, and someone there, you have two non-Christians join your group, and they come to Christ. And over this year, you begin to see them, the transformation. They come to Christ, they're converted, uh, uh, life change begins to happen, and you see that change. And so this, you go through this whole year, and then next year, at the end of this year, God forbid, God calls you to move to Minnesota, okay? I don't know why. I don't know what you did in a former life. No, just, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Okay, false teaching alert. No, uh, all right, but, but God calls you to Minnesota because they need Jesus there too. And so, okay, so, uh, so now you, you move away, you move away for like 10 years, right? So you, you move, you find a good church there and, and you start growing there and God continues your journey there. But now 10 years later, God calls you back to the promised land, back here to California. I, I, and you come back to California, and we're growing, and, 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 and God's on the move here, and it's exciting to see what he's done in those 10 years here at, at Rocky Peak, and I'm in a wheelchair, I'm so old. And, no, anyway, so, uh, anyway, uh, so, so you come back, right, and, and you, you see one day, you come in, and you see these, these, this one, one of these two guys, one that was in your life group, right? And, and when he'd come to Jesus, he had a lot of baggage, his marriage was in trouble, and and his kids were young, and they were kind of out of, kind of unruly, and, and it just, it just financially, there's a lot of issues he, he had in his life. But, but, but you'd seen the transformation in the first, first nine months, right? So now you come back, and you can't even believe the change in this guy. I mean, he is like a different guy. He's got this great marriage. His, he and his wife one, love one another. His kids are now like in high school, and they're pursuing God, and they're just, they're great kids, and they're, they're, they're thriving. And, and he's been blessed in his job, and he's had advancements there, and they're kind of financially, things are working out for them. And, and he's discovered his spiritual gifts, and he's, he's leading some key ministries. They're involved in several ministries. God really is using him. Over that time, as you're talking, you find that there's several people that he's brought to Christ because of the change in his life, and he's brought them, he's invited them here, and they, they've come to meet Christ, and now their lives are changing, and he has this passion for Christ, and he's just, you, you, you go out for coffee, and you're reminiscing over the old days, and it's just awesome, right? And you're just so pumped up what Jesus has done in this man's life. It's like night and day, okay? That, that's person number one, right? And so you're asking him now, hey, what about Frank? Remember Frank? He was in our group. He, he came to Christ at the same time, a lot of the same issues. And he says, you know, I, I'm not really sure. I lost, I lost track of him over the year. He was, he was here for a while, and I wasn't seeing him. And, and, so, and so now it's a couple weeks later, and you're down at Starbucks, you know, the one on Topanga, the, the real small one that I never go to. And so you're, you're down there, and you're in one day, and, and you're not planning to stay because there's no place to sit, you know, except out in the freeway. And so... Um, <laughs> You're, you're down there, and, and, and so you're, uh, you're in there, and all of a sudden you see Frank, right? And he's just not looking good, man. He looks like 15, not 10 years old. He's like 15 or 20 years old. Or he just, he doesn't look healthy. He doesn't look good. He's not, and so you go, and you begin talking, and it becomes very clear. He's, he's not going to church. He's not into that anymore. not kind of into Christianity thing, and maybe he sees himself as a Christian, but he's just not really, and, and you begin talking, and, and you don't really kind of probe too much because it's like obviously he's not right, but he, he just begins to pour out his life story and how his wife left him, that for a couple years it was better, but then she said no more, and, and she's left him, and, and, and his kids now. They're both strung out on drugs, and he's really worried about them and his, his life, like financially. It's, a, it's in a toilet, and he's just, he's just going on, and he's a wreck, right? He's just it's a total wreck. And so you stand back, and you look at these two lives, and you say, what in the world happened? They both came to Jesus. They both had a conversion experience. They, they both you know, began to grow. You saw that transformation happen. And now one is thriving, and one is in a mess. And like, what happened? And I can tell you exactly what happened. I don't know all the details. I don't know every storyline. But I know what happened. That one learned early on that when God shines a light, just take the next step. And just take the next step. And over 10 years, guess what? A lot of transformation can happen. But this other person, early on, they were thriving, but then Jesus began talking to them about several areas of their life. Maybe it was about their sexuality, maybe sexual purity. Maybe it was about uh, their, their, uh, a pride issue in their life. Uh, maybe it was about fine. I don't know what the thing is, but they began to say no. And, and they began to go backwards. 
And so pretty soon they didn't want to go to life group. They just kind of like, oh, those people, they're just all, you know, just high, you know, whatever. And they didn't want to go to life group. And then pretty soon they're, they're kind of hit and miss at church. And pretty soon they're not in church. And pretty soon they're back with their old friends. And pretty soon it's their old lifestyle. They're all values. And one thing leads to another. And pretty soon their, their, their wife is so fed up with him, she's left. And, and now she gets custody of the kids. And so he never sees the kids. And she's a single mom doing the best she can, working really hard. But the kids don't have anyone there taking care of them. She's not really walking with the Lord, and so they're hanging out with their friends, and now they've gotten into drugs, and now they're messed up, and in the meantime, he's just getting so lazy at work, and he's just so depressed, and he's not doing a good job, and so financially, has, and you see what's happened is that it was that simple. It was that simple, and men and women, we just have to understand this, that when Jesus gives us truth, when he turns up the light, when he identifies an area of your life that needs to change, We cannot put it on the shelf. We cannot procrastinate. We cannot rationalize. We should not turn away. We need to get on our knees and say, Jesus, I'm so sorry. Would you help me to grow? Show me. I don't even know what that means. Show me what the next step is. And can I tell you something? Whenever we say that, Jesus is so pleased and that light gets turned up and here's your next step. And you just take one step after another step after another step after another step, and pretty soon, you are miles ahead of where you used to be. And God's plan and transformation is being revealed in your life. And that is the lesson of the dimmer switch. Amen. Let's pray. God, we're, we're so much thankful, so thankful for you and the price that you paid to rescue us. And God, we just pray that you would give us the wisdom and the grace that we would understand your deep love for us and that whenever you turn on the light, it's to rescue us, it's to take us to the next level. It may be hard, it may be difficult, it may be painful, but as we die, we rise with you to a new life. We're a little bit more changed, a little bit more transformed. As Paul said earlier in in 2 Corinthians, that we're transformed from glory to glory, becoming more and more sharing your likeness. And so, God, we pray, and as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I would just ask you, I would just say to you, if you're one of those believers, you're bored, your your passion for Jesus has has dwindled, that you're involved in things you shouldn't not to be, that life is not working out, and and, and God's speaking to you today, I just want to promise you it's never too late. It is never too late until it's too late. And the moment it's too late is when you are so far from Jesus and your heart has become so hard, you no longer care. If you're here today and you still care and you want more and you want to get back on track, you can do that. It just, it just, it just happens as you surrender and you ask him to speak as you, you follow the light. And so we're going to go into a time of worship. We're going to sing that song about changing from the inside out and then a song about following the light through the darkness. And, and I want these words just to let them flow over you. We'll be taking our offering partway through, but just let this, let this be a time between you and Jesus And just surrender yourself anew that that as he shows light, that you will follow. You'll follow that light into life. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And that's the lesson of the dimmer switch that Christ has overcome, that he is the light of life. And he said that anyone who walks and follows me will not live in darkness. He says, believe in the light as long as you have the light that you might become children of light. And so as we follow the light, as he is the light, we become sons and daughters of light. And so my encouragement to you would be no matter where you're at today, if you're you're following, keep on following. If you've fallen behind, then then turn around and and start back and, and watch him respond to you and watch your life change and your heart come alive and be transformed and changed. I hope you can be with us next week as we finish up this series. If this week is called The Lesson of the Dimmer Switch, next week is called The Secret of Christ in You. And we're going to be talking about the secret of the Christian life, the core secret, the supernatural secret, who is Christ in us, the hope of glory, and, and how that is worked out and released in our life. I hope you can be with us. Again, it's a pivotal, foundational-type, life-changing message I hope you can be with us next week. Don't forget, after service, if you need prayer at the back of our auditorium is our prayer corner. We'd love to pray with you back there. And until then, may uh, the one who is the light of the world, may he be with you this week. And may you be staying in lockstep with him 
May you follow every step of the way. When you stumble and fall, come back. Ask him to forgive. Follow the light that you might become sons and daughters of the light. Amen? God bless you guys. Love you. See ya. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. <laughs>